0: hey everybody welcome back to we are movies uh it's been a very very long hiatus probably the longest one i've ever taken but um i'm johnny mockney uh your humble host back here to uh remind you that i am still alive and uh the podcast has not officially ended in fact what better time to come back from hiatus than to celebrate the fourth anniversary of this podcast um Exactly four years ago today, April 23rd, I started this podcast um, with uh, an episode on Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, featuring my first ever guest, Matt Ottinger, Um, and if you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you know Matt pretty well. He's come back for every single um, anniversary that we've had since then. He is uh, an eloquent speaker, very knowledgeable person, particularly in television. I think if you buy any book about the history of game shows, odds are you can find Matt cited in there somewhere. And uh, he's a previous uh, game show contestant as well, having been on Jeopardy during the Ken Jennings era. He also was the longtime host of Quiz Busters on WKAR, and um, pretty soon you can find uh, a website that he is working on, which is sort of an uh, an archival and a guide to uh, the entire show, I Have a Secret, which uh, was this incredible uh, old uh, television show. I, I think if you've ever seen the clip of the man on TV who claims to have seen the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, uh, that's what that show was. And um, Matt uh, just undertook this incredible project of um, sort of uh, archiving and writing about every single uh, episode and its significance, uh, from my understanding, is is what he told me about. And so uh, definitely keep your eyes peeled for that. I will update you on that in the future as well. And uh, for this episode, to celebrate the fourth anniversary, uh, we talked about an all-time classic, um, a movie I'm shocked to have not talked about on this podcast before, uh, from a director who I don't think I've ever covered on this podcast before either, which is shocking. Um, and that is The Great Alfred Hitchcock. And the movie is North by Northwest, starring Cary Grant, Eva Marie Saint, uh, James Mason, and uh, a few others. Uh, some other recognizable faces, which you'll hear us talk about as we also go down various other rabbit holes. Um, You'll just, you'll see, you'll hear, you'll hear where it goes, um, but this is a very enjoyable episode, great way to be back, and um, I hope you enjoy this very special fourth anniversary episode of We Are Movies. I'm
1: That's great. delighted We're- to be back. I love doing this show partly Good. simply because it means you're still doing it and i think that's magnificent there are so many podcasts that come and go and by golly 4 years is an awful long time
0: yeah it is it's uh, it's a real test of resilience and um i think i would be lying if some of it wasn't out of spite for the people who made fun of me when i <laughs> when i first invented it <laughs> so uh, but whatever it is, it, it got us here. So yeah, um, yeah. But I, I appreciate you uh, coming back every single time to celebrate this anniversary. It's um, terrific. I'm honored. And, and I can say at this point, uh, we have a catalog of movies now. This being your your fifth appearance, mm-hmm. um, and I think all five movies are uh, pretty distinct, pretty different from each other. I think that you've you've created a, an impression of yourself that's pretty varied and i think if somebody just looked at the episodes with you they might have a hard time kind of pinning down what kind of guy you are. That's, that's fair to say.
1: That that's an interesting take. I <laughs> I don't ever think of it. To me they're just my favorite movies. Right. And uh but yeah, you're right. They've come from a lot of different genres and a lot of different eras.
0: Um so i do want to know and i'm not quite sure if we've really discussed this um in previous episodes but when you first got exposure to movies, in, in what form was that usually? Was it catching them on, on TV? Were you a regular theater goer? How did you usually catch movies early on?
1: I actually have a vivid memory of, of some of this. And uh, let me see if I can lay it out for you. I didn't go see a lot of movies growing up. I was a television child. Oh, my mm. goodness. I watched so much television. But growing up, our family didn't go see movies. Um As kids, we would have been taken to the Disney films, but that would be about it. And then basically it was, I have a car now, I can go do things. And I had a couple of friends that lived in the same neighborhood as me. And we just started going to the theater. That was, that was something we started doing when I, I may, I'm maybe 16, 17 years old. And, and some of my earliest memories of those early, I can remember I can remember seeing Greece and thinking it was the dumbest thing <laughs> I had ever seen in my life. And, you know, clearly I was wrong, but right. but I just thought because I did not have the movie, the, the mental awareness of movies to understand, frankly, what a musical was. I mean, to some degree, the idea that people are stopping and singing, you know, there's all sorts of people who will make fun of that today anyway for any, any kind sure. of musical. It's a dumb concept. But to not have been exposed to that concept and then go to the movie theater and see Greece and see this happening, it was, I remember just thinking how ridiculous that was. Now, one of my fondest memories, and I think I've brought this up before, uh, back then, of course, didn't really know what the movie was necessarily about when you went to see it. All you had sometimes to go on was a poster or just word of mouth. And before I had seen a poster or before I had seen word of mouth, Airplane came out. And I knew there had been lots of disaster movies, (laughs) and I thought I was going to see a serious disaster movie when I saw Airplane. It was one of my favorite experiences in a movie theater to be so totally turned on my head within (laughs) 30 seconds. The red zone is for what?
0: Right. The red zone, white zone. And and suddenly
1: (laughs) I realized, oh, my goodness, this is going to be this ridiculous spoof. Yeah. And like I said it was just it was such a joy. Now when I first got exposed to movies as an art form was in college. I went to MSU and my job at MSU was as a projectionist. Now we're talking still about the days of 16 millimeter films. Wow. No VHS decks, certainly no DVDs. If somebody needed to show a film in class, There had to be an instructional media center projectionist who would take a projector and a film to that classroom and set it up and project the film on a screen for the class to see. And most of that was industrial educational films, but there was a film class, a film studies class, and that class showed all the great ones. It showed Citizen Kane, and it showed uh, Clockwork Orange. I'm coming up with Casablanca, uh, and and it had two Hitchcock films in its in its studies, and it was Psycho and uh, North by Northwest. And the professor of that class, Herbert Bergman, was his name. I still remember that was very disliked. <laughs> no one wanted to work for him. No one wanted to take his class. There used to be a little guidebook that the MSU students would look, look through when they were deciding what, t- what professors they were going to take. And the listing for Bergman said, and I remember this phrase, seems to be utterly loathed by those <laughs> who take his classes. But I was getting into the movies. Yeah. And then, and I'm still this way today, I always want to please people. And the harder it is to please somebody, the more of an interesting challenge it is for me. So I took on Herbert Bergman. Yeah. We got to be friendly, as a matter of fact, uh, stayed in touch after I was out of college. Uh, but through him, I didn't actually take the classes, understand. Yeah. But the cl- for the class to work, there had to be a projectionist there. So I was there for the lectures, and then for the film. And I got to see all these great films, in some cases, over and over again, because every semester, it was an introductory class. So every semester, there'd be a new group of freshmen coming in to take the class. And that's where I first got exposed to movies, including this one, as an art form.
0: Yeah, I had never thought about how, because nowadays, you know, they... Um, I was taking classes at MSU and they just they'll pull up anything willy nilly on their laptop. And I hadn't thought about how you would need to run 16 millimeter through a projector and actually keep these reels probably and and take good care of them. It
1: is Um, extraordinary to look back. And, uh, uh, you know, I I like to say when I was your age, uh, (laughs) but it's true. I mean, up, up until home video became a thing in, say, the early 80s. At home, you just you didn't watch movies. You 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 went to see a movie in the theater, and there would be movies on television. A local station would have a, a a a collection of films that they rented from whatever you know. I'm sure United Artists had one, and Warner Brothers had one, and MGM had one, and and you and you bought these films, and you'd you'd see what they were scheduling for you.
0: Yeah. And of
1: course, back then the networks would occasionally show films as part of the primetime se- season and it would be an event most right. notably i remember the wizard of oz was an event every it was in the fall every fall i think it was cbs you knew the wizard of oz was going to be on television and you scheduled yourself around that because that was the only chance for a year you would have to see the wizard of Oz. I know uh, the 10 commandments would run around, uh, uh, around Easter time Mm -hmm. and, and other films like that. I remember when it was a huge deal that gone with the wind was going to be on television for the very first time ever. Uh, and, And this was the way it was clips and highlights, maybe, but you didn't just have access to everything the way we do now between what used to be the home video market and now streaming so much is just at our fingertips that we lose sight of how incredibly rare it was to be able to see some of these films
0: yeah yeah and i assume probably caused you to pay more attention and kind of cherish that experience a bit more knowing how fleeting it was Oh sure, most likely. Uh, Watching those films, did you catch on to traits in movies that you were attracted to? Did you notice genres or certain actors or story elements or styles, things that you tended to like more than others?
1: In the early going, I don't think I did. I was absorbing so much because I knew so little. Mm. And uh, I have come to be a huge fan of musicals. I had always been a fan of science fiction, but that was basically ha- having grown up with Star Trek and with televised science fiction. And my father was a voracious reader of science fiction. I would try to read the books he was reading and <laughs> when I was younger, just struggling with it greatly. But right. uh, so science fiction was always a big deal in our household. Uh, so I was then, I gravitated to the science fiction. Um, I hate to say this to you, horror was never interesting to me. It just never clicked for me. I never cared to be scared in that way or to see that kind of gruesomeness on screen. Um, But in terms of patterns or a particular director that did something that was interesting, I mean, I know that they, I know what those interesting things are, but I don't think there's a particular thing that appeals to me, say, the way Scorsese films appeal to you. I don't think I have the one guy or the one thing sure. that, that makes a difference to me.
0: Right. Okay. That's interesting. So I guess leading into uh, North by Northwest, uh, you know, Hitchcock obviously has associations made with him. Uh, people think of him, they think of, uh, they, they call him the master of suspense. Uh-huh. Um, I I I'd say with the exception of Psycho, possibly the birds, I don't know if he's made what would be considered an outright horror film. Um, but a lot of his movies flirt with horror and and he tends to be sort of conflated with that. Um, what amazed me about North by Northwest, the first time I saw it, uh, I was in a high school class actually, and it oh. was the, the worst possible way you could watch this movie because it was <laughs> over the course of a few days, uh, second hour, so early in the morning, uh, watching it in parts you know kids are barely paying attention they're studying for their next class or something um but i was i at that point i'd been familiar with hitchcock and i'd seen uh psycho or window vertigo uh some of those films and i was just caught off guard by what kind of a a somewhat whimsical movie it is like in comparison it's it's quite upbeat and it it took me a while to get on that wavelength as i was watching it because i remember being i was like probably 16 i was going like this movie's kind of silly and then it took a (laughs) while before i was like oh it's it it is silly on purpose it is it is that way
1: it is it is just pure fun yeah i mean there are suspenseful moments certainly but uh compared to certainly compared to psycho or the birds or even Rear window for example um this is just a fun, goofy lark of a film. And I think that's might be why I gravitate to it more than I do other Hitchcock films.
0: Yeah. And it's, um, and we'll get into it, but I think it, it uh, does such a wonderful job of handling that levity without undercutting the genuine suspense as well. I think that's, A difficult thing to do and we see so many movies i think fumble that sometimes where there's good tension and then it gets immediately broken by the humor but uh hitchcock weaves it in so well i think in the movie um and uh and i'll be honest i uh i probably hadn't seen it since high school before i watched it last night and i finally actually got to watch it all through in one sitting and it all clicked and it's it's over two hours long but it's really a it's a breathless movie it's like from the opening the once you're 10 minutes in the plot has already gotten kicked off and you're just running until the end um but uh I did want to say I was I was doing a little bit of research and I was reading about how uh Ernest Lehman who's Uh the screenwriter for the film he deserves so much credit Yes. I think I was going to say, I think one of the greatest aspects of the movie is the screenplay Mm -hmm. Um, and that he intentionally set out to write um, basically the Hitchcock movie of all Hitchcock movies. (laughs) And, and you can see that the way that the movie has every single type of set piece and every, every, I don't want to call them every trope sort of. of, Yeah. Trope is better than
1: cliche. Yeah.
0: Yes. Trope is less derogatory (laughs) But lovingly incorporates all the tropes Mm -hmm. and 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 written so well, it's just it's such a blast to watch. Genuinely, now I think
1: Hitchcock was at a point in his career where nobody could really stop him from doing whatever he wanted. So you have to think that to whatever degree he reined in his darker impulses, and he definitely had darker impulses. Yes, Uh, that had to have been either himself or uh, paying direct tribute to this great screenplay and saying well i'll just do this the way the way it was written
0: yeah i I was reading a bit here's the thing about hitchcock is he obviously he's one of those fascinating characters from history um he's so compelling in interviews because he's such a strange man and and he's very hard to get a read on um but he obviously had these very dark impulses but also was a very goofy guy sometimes as well um and apparently the original idea for this movie because he kind of worked with Carl Lehman on the screenplay that he ended up getting um his it, the first image he apparently had in his head was Cary Grant hiding in the the nostril of Abraham Lincoln uh, on Mount Rushmore. Have you heard this? Yes, and, I have. And he was going to call it the man in Lincoln's nostril. <laughs> <laughs> the, just the silliest concept. And so from his original idea, it's it was whittled down to something distinctly more serious <laughs> than that. He, th- that he,
1: it. he had such a playful personality, which was on display, in the introductions he would do for his television series yes that that was where people really got to uh understand Uh, most of the time you didn't know who a director was and it was through that television series that people started to associate this person with those films and this person on television was a bit of an act (laughs) but but and if and if the joke was on him He was aware of the joke. I mean, there wasn't, he knew what he was doing. Orson Welles is an American version, very much like that. Yes. You you sit down with Orson Welles, you watch an Orson Welles interview and you know, he's playing with, with the interviewer. He's, he knows what his reputation is. He knows what uh, impression he gives off to the audience and he's going to use that. And, uh, and that, and that was Hitchcock.
0: Yeah, I've I've always seen uh, Hitchcock's screen presence. I've considered a cross between Orson Welles and William Castle uh, in Ah. terms of he has the gravitas of Orson Welles, but and and the playfulness. But then that sort of borderline exploitation aspect of William Castle, who I, I remember specifically the trailer for Psycho was him wandering around the house and addressing the camera and saying oh you should have seen all the blood Uh, oh it's too horrible to talk about and then he would interrupt himself and so that was very much like a like a castle-esque gimmick I always thought Um, and that was again he he routinely
1: uh, made trailers that he was in right explaining explaining the, the but never really explaining uh what the movie would be about
0: and speaking of which, does give himself? Uh, obviously, he has a cameo in all of his movies. His cameo at the beginning of uh, North by Northwest is very funny because it comes immediately after his directorial card, and you get the moment of him trying to get on a bus and the doors close. And sort
1: of, sort of, we're going to knock this out of the way. You're expecting, right. it. okay? Now we're done. Movie time.
0: Well, and, and the fact that it comes right after his credit tells you yes, people the time.
1: That's pretty cool. I didn't, I didn't think of that, but you're right. They, cool. they
0: knew that was him. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yes, um, but yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, we got to talk about, uh, I guess, for people at home who haven't seen the film, obviously, I recommend seeing the film. But it's a it's an identity mismatch type of movie, a, a, a mistaken identity story where you have uh, this character, uh, Thornhill, Roger Thornhill, played by Cary Grant, um, who is mistaken for a, a, a spy um, who doesn't exist. Uh, a spy named Kaplan, and so he ends up caught up in this whole espionage situation uh, with uh, a James Mason's character, Philip Van Dam, who's a an international villain and a, a sort of femme fatale character pe- played by Eva Marie Saint. That's our our basic rundown of the story. And that's our um, threesome.
1: Yes, a- yeah. a- and and again, right off the bat, you've described another half dozen of of Hitchcock's movies. Yeah, the right. whole mistaken <laughs> the guy the guy on the run who who you know the man who knew too much and one that was literally called the wrong man. Yes, and, and, and films <laughs> like that, which which turned on that same idea that here's an innocent man who doesn't really know what's going on and he's thrown into the adventure. Uh, one I have a particular fondness for is the Thirty Nine Steps. Yes, not so yeah. much because of the film, but because it uh, it was made into a wonderfully spoofy stage show which i had the chance to work on a a few years ago it's uh, the stage show is done with a total of four actors the actor who plays the confused doesn't quite know what's going on but is on the run from something man one female plays all the female characters and two two guys who are listed as the clowns play dozens and dozens and dozens of characters and it's a real real hoot so that, that and I, I, that's a little bit of an, a a a stray there, but that's that's Hitchcock. Hitchcock loved this story of a guy who didn't know what was going on; he just knew he had to react to it.
0: Right, and in a way, it is. It's Hitchcock playing the hits. Um, yeah. Uh, guess what? The femme fatale character is a blonde woman. It's uh, a, it's a pretty <laughs>
1: blonde, uh, yeah. achingly beautiful Ava Marie Saint. Oh my yes. goodness! I mean, maybe next to Grace after Grace Kelly. in in the in the list of uh, of of Hitchcock beauties I just always thought she was stunning but you're right you know Tippi Hedren and 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 Kim Novak Janet Janet Lee, Janet Lee, uh so many others that that was a Hitchcock thing and here it is again greatest hits (laughs) right the 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 icy blonde
0: uh femme fatale right right and and one key word you use there to describe it is you said adventure now This is a movie that could easily be much more dire and much more stressful. Um, and part of what makes it an adventure, I think I think a huge part of it, obviously, the dialogue and Cary Grant's performance, because Cary Grant's his character is a is an advertising executive. He's straight out of Mad Men, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, fast, great flannel
1: suit, the whole thing.
0: Yes. Yep. You know, fast talking. We see him bossing around his secretary. And so right off the bat, he has this sort of sarcastic, quippy approach to everything. The moment he's kidnapped, he's he's making jokes about it. And automatically that brings us to this levity where we're simultaneously endeared to him and we care about him. But also we we can still enjoy the ride despite the danger. Sure.
1: Sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, people have, have compared this to a bond film. Yeah. And I'm not sure I would go there. I, I, I don't know that I make that connection because in in general, the bond films came after this. And I don't know that, that they were looking to this for an inspiration, but there are beats that are similar. I mean, we, we know our hero is probably going to make it to the end and, and along the way, you know, beat the bad guys. And it is a spy thriller and and we have exotic locations so there are a lot of beats that that are reminiscent even though it came first of the bond films uh and it's a great performance by a fellow who was frankly about 15 20 years too old to play the part
0: he he definitely is that's Cary grant was in his 50s i think Yep, he was in his fifties. Okay, and, and uh, Eva Marie Saint was in her twenties. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. there is, you know, there is that yes. sort of uncomfortable gap. Um, but I mean, that's, gosh, unfor- like it's an unfortunate truth of nearly every movie from the fifties that sure. you would have old leading men and young leading women. Um, uh, but sorry, well, what were you well, the, say? Sto-
1: the story is that Jimmy Stewart wanted very, very badly to play the role. And yes. Alfred Hitchcock had decided that Jimmy Stewart looked too old on camera to play the role. So he hired Cary Grant, who's like four or five years older than Jimmy Stewart. Right. But he still didn't. He didn't look it. He he looked. He looked dashing and debonair and 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 it worked.
0: That had to be the most hurtful thing uh, Jimmy Stewart had ever
1: heard. <laughs> well, there's a there's a there's a second uh, there's a secondary story to that and that because he, uh, Jimmy Stewart and and and, uh, and Hitchcock were so very close. Right, and Hitchcock knew very specifically that that uh, Jimmy Stewart wanted to play this role, so Hitchcock waited until Jimmy Stewart was committed to another great role uh, in. Uh, oh, now and now I'm blanking. Was on it?
0: Would it would it have been an Anatomy? Auto premature Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, anatomy yeah. of Murder. With Auto it's Primer a great film. Yeah.
1: Waited waited until Jimmy Stewart was signed to that, yeah. and then had to go to him and say, "Hey." we're going to make north by northwest do you want to do it and of course he couldn't do it because he was committed to anatomy of a murder and and that's how we kind of got out of that without it being <laughs> hurt feelings
0: right it's a great story right. yes uh that is a great story and uh, oddly enough thing that marries this movie with anatomy of a murder both have uh opening credits sequences by Saul Bass uh with that iconic you know, you know animation so
1: so innovative at the time and now so identified with that period
0: Yes, yeah. I, I feel like it, specifically identified with Hitchcock. I feel like when mm-hmm. we when we think of him, we think about his the the always his his recurring Saul bass uh credits and um it, it was something that you know I know credits when they first existed were projected onto a curtain before the curtain even rose. And somebody like Saul Bass turned it into something you wanted to be at the movie for, because it was part of the experience. And In our household,
1: uh, we're, uh, my, my wife and I are both really into what's what's referred to as mid-century modern. Mm. For her, it's the cars and the fashion. And for me, it's the, it's the time period represented by the television and film of the era. And certainly that was mid-century modern, uh, paddling because yes. that that whole 50s 60s era you know not, not deco deco goes back a few decades but a very specific look that that defines the certain period in time
0: yes there's uh especially the, the way the movie captures architecture particularly early on when you have Cary Grant walking into these large buildings and um, there's that amazing overhead shot um, with the building to the right side of the screen and you see him just a little speck exiting the building. Um, they they show the world is so daunting and and bigger than him uh, which is so brilliant yeah Um, and and just uh, the way Hitchcock uses color is incredible Mm -hmm. it's so meticulous and obviously like at the time he requested he wanted to shoot this on uh, VistaVision so it's particularly a wide frame too that it's just uh, it's it's hacky to say at this point but one of his most cinematic films. It's yeah, funny to call yeah. a movie cinematic, but. Uh, <laughs> you
1: know. And that's the sort of thing the average moviegoer might not notice. But you notice. Yeah, it, it's it's something that that has triggered something in your head that this is special. This is there's a reason for that. And there's a reason for that. And you don't have to know what the reason is, but you know, it's there and it and it impacts your enjoyment of the film because mm-hmm. I'm that way. I don't get a lot of stuff. You you can tell me about the lenses and the cinematography and all of this, and I can say, okay, that sounds really impressive, but I'm still, I'm impressed without understanding any of that. And I think that's what the average moviegoer is too, is like, we don't need to know all the details that went into it, but when you hear about the details, you say, wow, that sounds pretty cool.
0: Yeah, and and you can, I think most of the time, because that's how I always was, where I always wanted to try to find out why something felt a certain way to me. Mm-hmm. And and one thing is like, I was talking about color, it took me a while before I realized I didn't like looking at modern movies as much because colors tend to be much more washed out these days. There's usually heavy tinting one way or the other. And that's not something I, I consciously thought about as a kid. I just remember thinking, I don't like looking at modern movies. That was just, <laughs> That's all my brain knew. Um, and, and so, yeah, when I do watch something like this, something from the late 50s, um, you know, shot this way. It's very apparent to me I can see those colors popping and and, and that also also contributes to the tone of why it's a, a fun movie. I can f- yeah. picture this being in black and white and feeling probably much more serious as a result right um
1: just as you can't imagine psycho in color well actually you can because some clown went <laughs> and did it, uh, but, <laughs> say it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. but uh but you can't you can't imagine that film in color that has to be a black and white film.
0: I'm Mike. And I'm Allison. We've both been guests on We Are Movies before. We love talking movies with Johnny. But I'm a jealous boy. You are. That's why we've decided to talk movies with, with each, each other. other. We started our own podcast called You, you made, made Me watch. watch. Each week, we made each other watch a movie the other has never seen. You Made Me Watch. two episodes every Friday. And I think there was a conscious, speaking of Psycho, I think there was... Uh, Hitchcock was conscious of the fact that this was his biggest movie to date, and literally the next year after this made Psycho, which was really from a production level his smallest movie to date, his yeah. smallest yeah. cast, smallest amount of sets, smallest budget. Um, yeah, yeah. It, so- it,
1: it, it, you're reminding me that you're right. Psycho came after this.
0: Yes. It was, yeah. yeah.
1: Psycho was 1960. Yeah.
0: Which you would not expect. No, no. This I would have a... thought,
1: I would, uh, my, my brain thinks it's the other way around. And then, right. no, that's, that was,
0: yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, But yeah, I, I will say despite his age, Cary Grant, very good in the movie. Fantastic. Um, Absolutely. He's great. As you said, Eva Marie Saint, I, the, the moment they meet, the chemistry is so electric. It's mm-hmm. silly. It's funny. It's very, it's very screenplay. And this is something I always say, formalism is okay. Characters don't need to talk like people really do. <laughs> and, Absolutely. And what, what's the fun moment. in that? That's real life. You see that all the time. <laughs> exactly. There's a music to it, the way that they talk. It's, it, it really is. I was trying to like jot down lines as they were coming because mm-hmm. I thought all of them were, um, <laughs> they were so great, but um. Yeah,
1: my my wife and I are enjoying speaking again of mid-century stuff. My wife and I are enjoying uh, the 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 marvelous Mrs. Maisel on television. Oh yes, very much that kind of thing. It's it's from roughly that same era, uh, or it's it's set in roughly that same era. And everybody, from the main character to the 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 smallest bit part, is the smartest, sharpest, wittiest person in the room. They just everybody has just the right thing to say, and that's not real life, but it's right. so much fun.
0: Of course, yeah, yeah, it's it's great. We, it's a fantasy. Um, yeah, yeah, and 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 that's okay. And uh, I was, uh, I, I I took a couple pictures, or I I, I wrote down some lines that I okay. that I enjoyed. One of my favorites is, "I'm an advertising man, not a red herring. I've got a job, a secretary, a mother, two ex wives, and several bartenders dependent upon me. I won't disappoint <laughs> them by getting slightly killed." Um, <laughs> which is great. Just a very—it's marvelous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and the actors sell it so well. Um, I do like—I love the the double, triple crossing that takes place between in that middle section between Cary Grant, and Eva Marie Saint, well. and
1: that's the tricky. That's why I, I'm a little hesitant to get real deep into the plot because I haven't actually watched the movie in a few years, and there are so many twists and turns. Yeah. That I'd be afraid that I went the wrong way on one. I was, well, this guy is working for this guy, but that guy thinks he's working and she is, is supposed to be. And then, but, but, but the other guy says, it's very hard to follow. Sure. Cary Grant well, couldn't follow it. Cary Grant <laughs> went, to, went to went to Hitchcock halfway through and said, I don't understand this. I don't think the public will either. Right. And just trust me. It's going to work.
0: I finally did understand it last night. I definitely didn't when I was in, mm-hmm. in high school. Oh yeah. When you're watching um,
1: it a few a few minutes at a time in a 50 minute right. class
0: um and uh i mean obviously now more than ever it was apparent to me what parts were supposed to be funny um there's particularly his mother the mother character early on is very funny um their relationship is very bantery um also uh speaking of great character actors early on his lawyer is played by edward platt who i knew as the chief from get smart sure um uh so I, I jumped up when i saw him um, one of my
1: favorite bits about that and of course there's another guy that you see in the movie who's much more much more famous now uh edward platt playing an actor playing a character named Larrabee. yes and if you're a, if you're a fan of get smart Larrabee was his goofy assistant even yes. goofier than than max smart was uh, and he's always shouting at larabee to do this or to do that and i just yeah. thought that i don't know if that was deliberate but it's a just a wonderful thing to think about.
0: Yes, uh, you're right. I had caught that. And I thought that yeah, was funny, yeah. and and uh, I remembered when I had watched this in class. It was right after we had also seen Rebel Without a Cause, which also features Edward Platt, and he, he plays the the cop role in the beginning of that. Um, and uh and so I was finally being exposed to him as as a film actor and
1: but just like you I mean w- when I see that face I thought oh, that's the chief that's right. that's, that's just all chief. that's just all he is that's the chief and exactly. of course he had a career of course oh, he yeah had, of course that yeah. wasn't the only thing he did
0: you you, you can't I, I can't tell you the shock on my face when I was like I was watching a, a Clint Eastwood movie called hang him high and then randomly one of the bad guys was the skipper from Gilligan's Island. And, <laughs> isn't
1: that Uh, delightful
0: it's delightful it's
1: even more (laughs) obscure than that russell johnson who played the professor shows up in a sci-fi this island earth oh it's a it's a classic (laughs) sci-fi thing from the early 50s and he's yeah he's one of the actors in that so what that's 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 the professor
0: Yeah, yeah yeah that's uh well, I guess I assumed the bigger actor you were referring to was Martin Landau. Martin
1: Landau's in this movie. Plays so cool.
0: a, yeah. Plays a <laughs> character named Leonard. Um, uh-huh. I had seen his name in the credits, and I actually spent a good portion of the movie trying to figure out which one was not Martin Landau. Because really? I, I know him as an older actor for the well, most really, part. That's that's a
1: good point. It's uh, He's one of those guys uh, like, like William Daniels. You, you can almost figure out a person's age by knowing what you know Martin Landau for. Right, right. And for you, it's gotta be those 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 late in life spots with uh who's the director I'm trying to think of. Not Ed Wood, uh, because that
0: was oh, the movie. Oh well, Tim Burton. Tim yeah. Burton. He yes. did he did those that those was his Oscar winning. Yeah.
1: Ed Wood was the one that he won the Oscar for. But yeah, yeah, he did these late in life films with Tim Burton. And for you, that might have been your your in general, your awareness of who he was. Right. Right. For me, again, science fiction. And boy, I, I don't know if your audience is old enough to get some of the, my references, <laughs> but uh, Martin Landau and his then wife starred in a syndicated science fiction series, low budget thing shot in England called Space 1999. Now, this uh-huh. was in the 70s. So 1999 was in the far, far, far future. Uh, and it was a goofy, it, the, the premise, the premise of this show. We're going to take an aside now. The premise of this show was that due to this huge nuclear explosion on the moon, the moon had been shot into space. And these guys were on a moon colony trying to stay alive and having adventures with the moon as their rocket ship. And it was more or less, it was meant to be serious. It was meant to be, star trek like drama and excitement wow and it was really interesting now (laughs) if i would had been a little bit younger or a little bit older if i if i had been aware a little bit sooner certainly the big thing that put him on the map on television was mission impossible sure yeah he was one he was the leader of the impossible mission force uh for many 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 seasons and That's what most TV viewers knew him for. But again, like all good actors, he had to have done something to have gotten on somebody's radar to have to have uh, gotten the TV roles. And I guess this was like his first big film. I think he had made some other films, but I think North by Northwest was probably the first chance he had to really show uh, uh, show off what he could do. And I think you're aware he took a very interesting choice.
0: Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Um. He's uh, he he's very compelling. Is he's he's essentially he's the henchman. Character. Right.
1: He's the main um, henchman for for James Mason. Ho- holy cow! We're talking about Martin Landau before we're talking about James Mason. <laughs> right. But, right. But yeah. But yeah. He's James Mason's uh, henchman. One yes. of one of a couple.
0: I I first learned about uh, James Mason as, as, uh, well, we'll get to James Mason in a second. I'll say uh, Martin Landau, yeah, uh, with a very, with a fairly small role, does quite a lot. He does a lot of great things with his face, um, particularly in a climactic moment between him and James Mason, where Martin Landau has come to a certain realization and he points it out to him. And there's this great moment with this gun with blanks and they, they both of them say so much with so few words. And, and I think that's, you can pinpoint the moment he, his career went somewhere. From, Absolutely. From- he, uh, he's so good
1: with his face in this film, that there are times, especially if I haven't seen it a long time where I stop and think, does he ever speak? And he does. He, he definitely has lines. Yeah, but it's almost like you don't think about what he says; you're thinking about what he's doing with his face, and it is menacing. But it, it, but it, but it's layered. It's it's extremely layered. What I was going to allude to, I'll be I'll be the one to bring it up since I was gonna I was gonna let you have it, but but I'll okay. do it. He had he said many many times, in interviews afterwards, he was playing the character as gay, and really? as and 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 that basically he. Was in love with, had a crush, whatever, however you want to oh. word it, with his boss. Yeah. And found Ava Marie Saint to be a problem in that respect. She was his romantic rival to wow. his boss. That's the way he played it. Now, how much of that comes across, you know, certainly there's nothing, I think there's one line people point to that say, ah, oh, but see, he said this. Uh, but by and large, that's how he chose to play the role. And, you know, it could have been could have been horrible for him. Could have gone badly, uh, yeah. but he was that good, and, and it worked. Even if you didn't know,
0: it's the character still works. Right, he works both ways. That definitely adds a layer to it. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, that's a classic. That's an a classic example of an actor with a smaller role filling in the gaps. I think I'm remembering now. It's,
1: I, I think, it, the screenwriter once he knew. I think this is how this worked. The screenwriter, once he knew what Landau was doing, gave him a, a, a line where he says something like, I'm trusting my, my women's intuition. Mm. <laughs> that Landau says, I'm trusting my women's intuition. Yeah. Uh, and and, and uh, that was sort of inserted into the show once the screenwriter knew what he was doing, right? right. which I thought was really cool
0: yeah yeah that's fascinating um i had never heard that um, oh no
1: that's 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 one of yeah. my favorite things about about that role because knowing that now you go back and watch and it's a whole nother it's a whole nother thing right and and he's, and, he's not just protecting his boss he's yeah. protecting the guy that he cares about
0: he's he's acting a little bit out of jealousy yeah as well. yeah. yeah um and i i do like uh like he essentially sort of becomes the big becomes the big bad of the 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 finale which takes takes place on Mount Rushmore because he's the one really chasing them um but throughout most of the movie our villainous character is, is James Mason James Mason's character Van Dam, mm-hmm. who um I think at this point I had only seen in one other movie at the time when I first saw this I'd seen him in uh uh the Nicholas Ray movie um uh it's it, it's going to slip. Uh, I'll look it up, but yeah, uh, it, it was, um, uh, Oh, it's uh, bigger than life. bigger than okay. life. Okay. I'm um, not familiar I, with that. It's a great movie. Uh, he plays, it's sort of a comment on masculinity and he plays a, a dad who he's the hero of the movie, but due to these drugs, he starts taking for like his, uh, his health, it ends up driving him more like toxically masculine and he becomes a horrible person to his wife and his son. Um, and so he plays it sort of both ways in that movie. And in this, he's very... He's hes the perfect sort of cool, collected villain who feels as though he's on top of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he and... Oddly enough, he and Cary Grant have some of the best chemistry in no. the movie. When, <laughs> yeah, when they they have that great moment where he's commenting, he's complimenting Harry Grant, Cary Grant, on his his performances that he's giving because he doesn't believe that he's not really a spy. And then Cary Grant says, "Well, it sounds like next you want me to play dead." And then, uh, um, uh, then James Mason says. Oh yes, uh, it'll be your next performance and it'll be your best or something it's just they're, they're like,
1: yeah, it's interesting. I think you really hit on something there where you say that, he, that as a villain he 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 just knows a little bit more than everybody else around him uh or or has a little bit more going on because I'm think I'm thinking now uh we taught at the very beginning, I was saying that my parents took me to see the Disney movies. He was Captain Nemo. In the right. Disney version of Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, he was also Brutus and Julius Caesar. He 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 plays these bigger than life villains and brings them to life. I think I think that's a, but th- and then he can turn on a dime. I mean, I'm realizing now because you're, you're reminding me so much about growing up and watching one of the first films I saw in the theater was Heaven Can Wait, the, the Warren Beatty uh, fantasy film. And he's the very kindly benevolent uh, guardian angel character who's looking over uh, the, everybody and, and, is, and is as nice a character as you could possibly want to play, as pleasant a character as you'd ever want to play. So he, he had an enormous range. And uh, I'm going to give you one more movie of his to watch for next year. We're going to talk about my my favorite mystery of all time, The Last of Sheila. And he's in the cast of that, too. So, yes, I'm a big James Mason fan.
0: And I I saw The Last of Sheila. I do want to point out because you you loaned me the DVD years ago.
1: And it seems like that would have been in anticipation of talking about it, but we never got around to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was All just because, right. well, yeah, you yeah. told me to, to see it. Um, But yeah. And
1: now, you know what the knives out and, and, and the glass yeah. onion, it's a, it's a genre
0: now. Yeah. They're back. They're back yeah. now. And there's yeah. Kenneth yeah. Branagh doing his Herc- Hercule Perrault movies. Yeah, that's it's, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's back now. So yeah. Yeah. Fifth year, fifth anniversary. That'll be, it sounds great. That'll be our film. Um, But uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what uh, I, I, Oh, I wrote down a couple of other moments Uh, when we do meet the Bureau or I think it's, I'm not sure if it's the FBI or the CIA that we need. They but... they specifically never say. Oh, OK. <laughs> in, in fact,
1: Leo G. Carroll, another great character actor. Leo yes, G. Carroll at yeah, some point says he starts just spewing letters and says it's all alphabet soup. It doesn't it doesn't matter who, <laughs> who you think you're working for or you don't think you're working. for. It's all it, it doesn't really matter whether it's the FBI or the CIA or the OSS or whatever it is. Yeah, it's just it's it's us versus them.
0: Yes, I, I and I, you just brought up possibly my favorite character in the movie is Leo G. Carroll's character, the Professor. Uh, he is just this perfect, like, sort of morally gray character at the beginning he sort of has this attitude of ah, oh, let's just let them kill thornhill that's going to be the best thing. yeah that's right it's yeah. it's, it's the, what's it to us right right we but, don't want to poor, risk poor guy decisions. got in the wrong
1: situation but it's just easier for us if he was gone
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and that has one of my favorite lines where somebody else uh there says because uh, this is right after the uh the other man gets murdered and the knife with the back mm-hmm. the knife in his back and thornhill is framed for the the murder and one of the people in the The agency room goes, uh, so incredibly sad. Why do I feel like laughing? Uh, It's (laughs) just this, and that's
1: (laughs) that's a pretty good synopsis of the film, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah, or 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 Hitchcock's career for that matter. Yeah, yeah, you, you have to laugh at some of this stuff because it's just so weird.
0: And I think that's the movie winking at you. It's finally telling you, we know this is convoluted, we know this is silly, we know that the whole movie hinges on a misunderstanding a comical misunderstanding that happens right. that leads to everything and that's okay we can laugh about it <laughs> and um and he's a the professor's a very funny character because i do like when he he comes into uh helping uh sort of helping thornhill but really trying to help himself and right he's just he's very quippy and he's behind a newspaper when they're out in front of uh mount rushmore as well and and i i just i really like his attitude and his sort of moral compass that exists i think that's
1: another the the actor is is yet another person from this film who went on to be more famous on television in another kind of a spy role he was the leader of uncle in a show called the man from uncle which was mostly about the two younger adventuring heroes the american and the russian working together on on uh solving the world's problems but he was the guy you know at that back at the desk uh, he he was, he was waverly he was the chief he, yeah. he was basically the chief yeah and uh was yeah so, so we had two different chiefs in this as well as Martin yeah. Landa going on to be on the mission impossible
0: right right yeah. yeah he was the he was the waverly uh character on on the band from Michael right, i remember right, yeah. and uh um uh but yeah, uh yeah, so many great yeah, I, I love once again, uh, uh sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say a bit of
1: trivia. Uh the the answer to the question who who was in the most Hitchcock movies, besides Hitchcock himself, of course, is Leo G. Carroll. He oh, did really? more he did more Hitchcock movies than Cary Grant did, than 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 uh James Stewart did. There might have been some minor character actors that 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 Hitchcock would have along for the ride but in terms of people you would recognize on screen Leo G. Carroll did more Hitchcock movies than anybody wow
0: and you you got to wonder like the way that he did have this company of actors that he would mm-hmm. regularly work with yeah a lot of these guys because you even mentioned how Cary Grant objected about the plot to him and said, I don't think people understand (laughs) this. I don't understand. You think about how so many of these actors probably didn't fully understand Hitchcock. They probably didn't maybe know how to communicate with him all the time but they just trusted his brilliance Mm -hmm. and they knew they were signing on because they knew from what he had done before that he knew what he was doing and that's all that matters and i think that's when you have some of the best director actor collaborations or when you have these actors like cary grant or jimmy stewart or these guys who are big names who just kind of put in their full trust in the filmmaker and saying yeah i'm sure i'm sure you're gonna make this work and every time it it did um yeah uh, there's very few, very few Hitchcock movies that are really considered, you know, not great. <laughs> this was, <laughs> this came, this came during, so, you a, know,
1: in, in their era, some were more successful than others. And certainly sure. today, some are a lot more famous than others. Right. But yeah, you're right. He, he didn't really have a lot of sour notes. You're talking about this kind of collaboration. I'm reminded again uh, of your guy, Scorsese and DiCaprio, right? And how they, they just connect and, yes. and, and and have that shorthand where they can just do things together,
0: or and, Scorsese and, and De Niro, depending on, or that. De Niro, should depending yeah, on your yeah. age. Yes, right, right.
1: <laughs> yep, exactly.
0: I, I, I appreciate a, you.
1: <laughs> there is a Broadway musical version of New York, New York that I'm really oh, eager wow. to see now. Yes, yes. That, that that was that was a weird detour for both of them. <laughs>
0: That, that was a strange detour. That was early on, I think. Before yes, he, it was.
1: It was. He, he yeah. sealed
0: who he was. Yeah. It's like um,
1: Hitchcock never did
0: a musical. I mean, it's just, right. It's, it's not done. That would have been incredible. Though. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I need to mention a couple. I got to mention the Crop Duster scene. I mean, the oh. Crop Duster scene is one of the greatest set pieces in film history. I was going to say
1: it's probably the second best known Hitchcock set piece after, after the, the shower, shower scene. scene. Sure. Yeah. After the shower scene. It's yes. spectacular, supposed to have been done somewhere in the Midwest, and of course it was shot in California, right. Bakersfield, which I've been to by the way, and looks pretty much like that. Wow! Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's so iconic now, and you just think about all the people who were influenced by it. I mean, to have to create a thing that becomes a character yes. is not an easy thing to do. And the, the 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 comparison I make. Want to talk about a great director? Tell me that, Duel. Duel that, yeah, yeah, no, the exact. I, I knew you were going to say you were Duel. there. You were there. <laughs> Tell yeah. me that Steven Spielberg was not influenced by that by by that crop duster. Right. Yeah. Well,
0: and the- the, the sound design, especially when it gets closer, it sounds angry, you mm-hmm. know, the, the uh, uh, so much of that is so, like you said, yeah, the, the way you can kind of personify this crop duster.
1: One of my favorite not so great movies is a almost campy thing called Capricorn One from the late 70s.
0: I know. You, the, yeah,
1: <laughs> you go back and watch it now. And it's not very good. Starting OJ Simpson. Uh, For example, (laughs) the the, the, the astronauts were O.J. Simpson, Sam Waterston, and James Brolin, which I just think you could never... That no, theoretically you could get them all back together right now. I mean, theoretically yes. they're still around. <laughs> theoretically,
0: some of them some of them doing much better yes. than others. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. But it's and it's it's
1: it's not a great movie, but it, again that late 70s thing where I was starting to go see movies for the first time, so in some in some ways I wasn't all that uh I wasn't all that picky. Uh it's it's a it's a guilty pleasure now. Mm. And the helicopters that become birds. And and the final crop duster with with Telly Savalas, and mm-hmm. there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on there with with airplanes and and flight and these char- and these these contraptions becoming characters that yeah. you that 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 are that are terrifying. Not yes. so much terrifying in Capricorn One because it was all pretty silly. Sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oddly enough, uh, sorry. Go Great, ahead.
1: Greatest movie trivia question ever, but of course the answer is Capricorn One, so you already know that. What's the only film that co starred both of Barbara Streisand's spouses? Wow, how about wait, that?
0: Wait, wait, who are was James Elliot Roland? Gould
1: was the other one, James <laughs> Brolin James Gould. and Elliot Gould?
0: I, I actually, and had again,
1: no idea. available <laughs> <laughs> yes, Elliot Gould. <laughs> we could remake Capricorn One with the original we cast, could do, we
0: could do it practically. Sequel, yeah. The
1: original cast, we can't get Hal Holbrook. we can't get Telly Savalas. Brenda Vaccaro is Brenda Vaccaro still around. Oh, I don't I'm know. I'm not sure. Yeah, I know. Yeah, anyway. Yeah,
0: I know the rest of them are kicking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Elliot, Elliot Gould. I think he's Elliot Gould he's 90, and James Brolin he's...
1: only starred in one movie together. Wow. A friend of mine was working on a game show and wrote that question. And I and, and wow. thought it would be the hardest question in this show that he wrote. <laughs> and of course, the contestant had no idea. But That's I knew a, it because it was yeah. one of my guilty pleasures. That's what was the movie we were supposed question. to be here talking about?
0: Well, yeah, yeah. It certainly no, wasn't Capricorn no, was. 1. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that does speak to it. Because Capricorn 1, a bit of a B movie, you could oh, say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that speaks to, I think, the vast array of filmmakers that Hitchcock inspired. Oh, sure. sure. He's considered one of the greats of all time, one of the greatest. Uh, but and, and obviously so many very successful acclaimed directors, Scorsese, Spielberg, these guys all cite Hitchcock as an inspiration, but plenty of, you know, disreputable B-movies like, like pull from, from him as well. Um, you know, uh,
1: well, if we're talking about the, 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 the transportation device coming to life, not that this was a disreputable film, but Christine mm. is another great example uh, of of the car being the villain.
0: Yes. Uh, and that's obviously John Carpenter's. I, I was going to say, very, of
1: course, you, you're very familiar with Carpenter's work. Right.
0: Uh, very, very open about his uh, Hitch, Hitchcock inspirations, too. Um, Rami,
1: did you did you meet Carpenter?
0: I've never met Carpenter. OK, okay. Um, you've, met some,
1: you've met some of these guys.
0: I've met. Yeah, I went to a few conventions a couple yeah. summers ago. I yeah. spent I spent all of my uh, Jimmy John's uh, money <laughs> at the time. Uh, <laughs> it's important for me
1: to point out, by the way, at this point in our conversation, holy cow, we've been talking for an hour. Um, yes, yes, we'll wrap I don't, up. So. I don't watch. I don't watch eighty percent of your. I don't listen to eighty percent of your podcast because it's the horror movies and I don't care. <laughs> That's
0: Just, okay. So, you know, yeah, That's right. okay. I, right. I, I I've I've come to accept that, and I still respect you. I was um, <laughs> I was
1: gonna yeah. I was gonna add one more thing. If anybody uh, after all of this, you you want to rush out and. And get uh, north by Northwest and watch it. Near the end of the film, they're in a diner in a in a in a, in a visitor center at Mount Rushmore, and oh. there's a scene where one person pulls a gun on another person. No spoilers. Yeah, there it is. One of the most magnificent. Yes, and you're doing it. I don't know if you're if you're doing this as a visual or not. When you when you upload these, there is a wonderful blooper that made the final cut in this film where there's a little boy who has clearly been in one take too many of this scene and he knows when the gun is going to go off and he sticks his fingers in his ears and if you know to look for it it is spectacular uh and the story is hitchcock was aware but that was the best take and he thought people wouldn't really notice again this was in an era where you didn't have your copy of the movie at your disposal to stop and rewind and focus and click and zoom in. Uh, And I'm sure for the most part, it it didn't matter uh, when the movie was in the theaters, but if you go back and watch it now, it is one of the great bloopers that actually it shows up in a movie that you're ever going to want to see
0: yes yep it's a good one uh i i knew what you're gonna say when you were yep. about to say it it's, yep. it's, it's one of those famous bloopers, like uh the stormtrooper hitting his head kind right, of right. things. right exactly this point. yeah um and obviously we'd be remiss if we didn't mention if in case people weren't sure if this movie was supposed to be kind of silly and fun it literally ends on a phallic joke <laughs> Uh, yes yeah i'm glad you brought that up because i that
1: was one of those things in my head we should probably mention that go ahead right
0: it's the the final shot of the movie there's been sexual tension boiling between our our, our hero and our heroine uh throughout the entire film and finally they're on a train and and when married it seems like married that very important point yes since this is a 1959 <laughs> film uh she's suddenly Mrs. Thornhill. Um and uh, after all that tension is built up, uh, they they embrace. And then we cut to the, the train entering a tunnel. <laughs> the train entering the tunnel. Very
1: intentional. And, you know, <laughs> he was not the first one to do that. Right. But it was so clearly there. I mean, it, it was like he's putting it in the face of the of the sensors. Yes. He's like, tell me I can't do this kind yes. of thing. There was I mean, he did a lot of the, the whole the, the, there's a lot in this movie of his whole attitude was tell me I can't do this. You know, right. he couldn't shoot on Mount Rushmore. They had to build things around it. He couldn't yeah. shoot the the UN building. He had to sneak a, an outdoor shot of the UN building in gorilla a guerrilla filmmaking. Yes, guerrilla <laughs> yes. Alfred Hitchcock doing a lot of this was let me see what I can get away with.
0: Yeah. And yeah.
1: he got away with it at the end. That, it's, that, the train <laughs> entering the tunnel.
0: It's one big Maverick production. And and that's what part of what's so charming about it is that there's a there's a little of everything. And like you said, yeah, it's it's Hitchcock testing his limits from here and on to Psycho at this point in his career, really was just trying to see what he could get away with and and what he hadn't done but done before. Um and yeah, it's just uh uh I do I love this movie now and I do think Uh, um uh, I'm glad yeah yeah it's uh it's it's such a what I call irresistibly affable experience I think uh and and I did I wanted to one last thing I wanted to read was probably my favorite dialogue exchange in the movie because in case I haven't said this enough times Ernest Lehman's script is genuinely one of one of the greatest Hollywood screenplays ever produced um the line Cary Grant has speaking to Leo G. Carroll's character, he says, "I don't like the games you play. If you can't lick the Van Dams of this world without asking girls like her to bed down with them, learn learn to lose a few cold wars." And then Leo G. Carroll responds, "I'm afraid we're already doing that." <laughs> it's <a laughs> very subtle yeah. joke. Yeah. Of, yeah um yeah. anything else you want to say about uh this movie
1: oh um, my goodness so we could probably talk another hour I literally did not realize that, that the time had flown by <laughs> like this but that's that again that's what I enjoy I, I really look forward to these little get-togethers and I look forward to the fifth anniversary we've already picked next year's movie We've already picked
0: Last of yeah. Sheila yes we've, we've we've set it in stone so yes um well that's great. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, for picking this movie and you know I think doing this podcast you never know what you're going to get. Sometimes people will pick like a 90s cult classic or something and those are fun, but it's also always really nice when somebody picks like a great one of the great classics and you get a chance to sit with it again like an excuse mm-hmm. to do it i yeah. don't often sit down and watch north by northwest but i had an excuse to sit down and watch it again and so I'm, i I'm would
1: love that. to do citizen kane one of these days but i don't think i'm qualified that's a that's a bit much <laughs> for me to take on
0: maybe but it's two, a great one it's one of my I, favorites maybe in two years you will be qualified yeah
1: maybe that'll maybe, maybe. that'll be it for our sixth anniversary
0: yes exactly yeah. all right well thank
1: you john very much thank i really appreciate it
0: i appreciate you thank you so much